What's up, skeptics? I'm your host, Zoe McDaniel, and you're listening to Professional Skepticism. So today I have a, another guest with me, it's a guest who's been on here before, drum roll please, it's Trap Dad again, say hello. Hey, it's Trap Dad, glad to be here. <laughs> Everybody loved the episode with you on it, so I was like, why not be on it again? I did, this episode is more research based, but I just didn't want to, I don't know, I just thought it was fun, and I was like, I don't want to just sit here and like talk about it myself like I feel like it would just be fun to talk about with you sounds good to me so I have a question for you okay can you pass the acid test (laughs) (laughs) I participated in the acid test I'm sure you did the answer to that is yes I'd love to talk about it (laughs) (laughs) oh it was fun (laughs) <laughs> middle school tripping in the how always i should have set up the camera because you look crazy right now when you said that <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking of doing that today so as an update to all of my little skeptics out there i now am the proud owner of a fancy camera so i think what's gonna happen is i'm probably going to be recording and putting some stuff on the patreon first but we'll see how it kind of morphs. Also, I have a meeting with an old middle school friend on Friday to talk about getting my website set up so I can stop stringing you guys along and leading you on because I fucking hate working on this website. It sucks so bad. So I'm like, let someone else do that. <laughs> Who, who's going to do that for you? Um, his name is Jake. Well, we're going to talk and see okay. like how... What it would what it would look like to do something like that if it's I don't even know what people charge for that kind of thing but um, yeah so yeah, sounds good yeah I'm excited so today's topic is acid tests the Mary pranksters Ken Casey um, just acid LSD in general and it's actually the uh, acid tests actually were right before the summer of love. So they were a little bit ahead of the times. And what was I going to say after that? I don't know. So I guess I'll just go ahead and get into it. Okay. So a lot of my research came from Wikipedia, almost all of it. And then I have like an article from, I think it was Oregon State University and like the Rolling Stones but mostly from Wikipedia pages that looked like they had a lot of sources, so I'm going to trust them. Okay, so LSD was first synthesized and tested by Dr. Albert Hoffman in 1938. So I think in the last episode we were like, I think it came out in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah, that's not true. (laughs) Well, yeah, but it, it got real popular in the 60s. Yeah, so basically he was... Doing some research, trying to find whichever form of acid would do something. It was like something with alkaline. I can't remember. I'm not a chemist. But they were trying to find a 
a chemical that would do something. And so LSD's like full name is like LSD-25 because it was the 25th version of that kind of acid that he had made. It's like lysergic uh, something. <laughs> That's good enough. <laughs> yeah. I used to do so many details and like really, really do like heavy research. Yeah. And now I'm like, I can pull it back in a little bit. It doesn't have to be that detailed. Well, if you said to someone the real name, they probably wouldn't know what you're talking about. That's why it's shortened down to LSD. Yeah. So. And acid is in the real name, and that's why we just call it acid. But yeah, so he discovered, or he synthesized it in 1938, and then he accidentally discovered the effects that it had on humans in 1943 after unintentionally ingesting an unknown amount, which I think they've later discovered was like 250, uh, I think it's micrograms. I have it somewhere in my notes here, like what the, how we determine the dosage or like what the measurement of the dosage for acid is, but um, accidentally absorbed it potentially through his skin. Wow. And never, started tripping. i heard of that. Yeah. So it was an accident, and he was like, whoa, Nelly, that shit's bomb. <laughs> Don't drop bombs, drop acid. My acid is the bomb. I'm sure that's what he was saying when he had that experience. So yeah, he was thinking, maybe one day, Sully will do a painting of this. Yeah. Prince coming soon to a Etsy shop near you, because <laughs> I have a camera now. So he was working for Sandoz Laboratories, and they were like, dope, like, cool, you made that. So they introduced LSD as a psychiatric drug in 1947, and they marketed LSD as a psychiatric, I'm going to say this wrong, panacea? Is that how you say it? That's right. What does that mean? Uh, panacea is something that brings, like, calmness and emotion. Yeah. Okay. Happiness. Panacea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So psychiatric panacea, hailing it, and this is a quote, as a cure for everything from schizophrenia to criminal behavior, sexual perversions, and alcoholism. And now that I'm thinking about it, I think Andrew told me that the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous actually participated in some LSD studies because he wanted to see if it would work because they basically were like, yeah, it's a cure for alcoholism. And I think I read somewhere in my research that like through a meta-analysis, they did see that use of LSD did, I guess, not cure alcoholism, but it lowered the participants' likelihood to drink as often. Yeah, so I should just do acid a little bit every now and then. I mean, yeah. <laughs> don't have to worry about my alcoholic problems. There you go. Thanks for You are sober. You don't even have to worry about it. But if you want to do some acid, you should do some acid. <laughs> <laughs> are you aware that there is over on Monroe Road a Sandoz company? That's the same company. Is there really? Yeah. What is it, though? Is it just like a... Do they produce medications there? I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I have a friend who's worked there her whole adult life, and I've never thought to ask her what it is they do there. Yeah. That's interesting. So it's a, is it a lab? 
It's a big building. I don't know exactly what they do there. I know they do products. Yeah. I know products come and go from there. So That's cool. I feel like something I've learned as I've been doing this podcast is that there's a lot of stuff not very far from us. So now I know there's a Sandoz Labs. Mm -hmm. There's all the DuPont stuff, which is crazy. Um, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head right now. But I've always been like, oh, wow, there's like this thing that's like an hour and a half away that yeah. I'm researching. I'm like, why is this so close? You know where uh, Gus's, my vegetables are? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> across that intersection on the other quadrant, kind of diagonally from where Gus's is. Okay. Murphy's wife worked there. Wow. Yeah. The more you know. Yeah. Yeah, so basically, they're like... When they discovered it, they were like, this shit is good. Yeah. And they, like, marketed it to people, and they were like, this is, like, a good tool to have in your box. Like, it helps with a lot of different things. Oh, I lost my train of thought again. Why am I, like, brain farting today? (laughs) I don't know. I think I was also prepared for Andrew to be on this episode with me, and he had, like, some facts that he was going to talk about with, like, the AA and stuff like that, so I didn't really look too much into that. So I'm not sure what his con- the founder's conclusion was on that, but I did think it was interesting that they did. I guess it makes sense that like you if you have a good controlled acid trip, I could see why it could have lasting effects. I mean, it's the same kind of concept as them, them using psilocybin and yeah. ketamine for like mental health disorder treatments. Yeah. I don't think they've ever really been able to figure out how it's going to affect each person. I mean, I just know from personal uh, experience when we would do it in school, one of us would take one, you know, we'd take the same amount, and one of us would have an incredible, beautiful trip, and the other person would be laying over on the sofa pulling their hair out because they were freaking out. Yeah. So I don't think you can really do that with, you know, prescriptions of something. You can't give it to people and not have any idea what's going to happen. I think that it's like not that they just give you acid, though. I think it's like you have to do it in a controlled setting so that they can prevent that from happening. I think a lot of it, too, is are you rubbing your pants? (laughs) Can you stop? (laughs) I just hear this like soft noise. Like, what is that? Um, <laughs> I'm a soft noise kind of guy. <laughs> like, it's so weird. Um, but I mean, yeah. So any psychedelic is going to kind of break down your ego, your egoic mind. And I think a lot of people who aren't there yet, that's hard for them to accept. Yeah, probably so. And I think, I feel like that's a lot of what it is, is, um, suddenly, so much is revealed to them or they like the world seems like it's breaking down in front of them. They're like, everything I thought I knew is not the case. And I think people can't handle that, but you're probably right. I mean, I know people who like need to take 10 tabs in order to feel a regular trip. And it's also, we'll get, I think it's coming up next, but there is like a, you do build up a tolerance if you're doing it frequently, but yeah, I think it, and also I don't know if I talk much about it in this episode, but if you are familiar with taking psychedelics, you've probably heard of the terms set and setting. And that is like how you should prepare before your trip. Because a lot of times if you just 
decide randomly. Well, I don't know. I don't want to say that because I have had spontaneous times where I um, tripped and it was like beautiful and amazing. But I think it was one of those situations where everything just kind of worked out the way that it should. But um, they say like you should prepare beforehand. So like making sure your environment is comfortable, like there's nice music, nice lighting, there's snacks if you need it, water, um, access to help if you need it, like a comfortable place to lay down, journals, art, Yeah. And then like taking set, setting your intentions. Like, why are you taking this? Are you taking this because you want to escape? Are you taking this because you want to explore your consciousness? Are you taking this because you just want to have a fun time with friends? Why are you taking it? Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, I think that comes into play too. I think some people just aren't ready for what they're about to experience. That's probably true. I can see that. Yeah. So LSD is considered to be non-addictive with low potential for abuse. I think most scenarios are abuse. <laughs> like you're just kind of, I mean, I, I don't want to say abuse because I think people use it um, in ceremonial and spiritual purposes, but like a lot of times people are just taking acid just to take acid. So I feel like, I don't even know, like, I guess it is technically a drug because it's like a synthesized thing that people just take. Um, but I know to a lot of people, like psychedelics are sacred. Um, but I think there are a lot of people that, just take acid just to take acid. So when it says low potential for abuse, I think it just means like people who, when I think of abusing drugs, I think of like taking pills, like using them out of their context. So I think like it's very possible for people to use LSD out of a certain context. Um, Obviously that's not like a prescription where it's like, Oh, I'm going to go take my LSD today. Like the way that you would take a pill. Um, so, but I just, I, this was like a quote that I saw and then it says frequent use rapidly builds tolerance requiring exponentially larger doses to feel an effect. And researchers believe that tolerance does return to the baseline after two weeks of not using psychedelics. So I feel like if you're like needing like 10 tabs of acid to like feel it, either you want to be like lost in the fucking sauce or like you're doing too much acid. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> I've never known anybody do that much. Yeah, like at music festivals, I've met people that are like off 10 tabs. And there's a group of people that go to music festivals that go to music festivals like every single weekend. It's their lifestyle. They travel, they work the festival and like they work the festival so that they can get in. And so they don't have like jobs and they're just, it's about like trading and bartering and sharing supplies and stuff like that. So I feel like they need a higher dose. But I also know some people that they, when they trip, they want to completely not be in their body anymore. Oh, okay. Take 10 hits then. (laughs) Yeah. I've never been that type of person. Like, I don't know. I think it scares me to like not be at least a little bit conscious of the material world, like the human experience. It scares me to just completely be like lost in a drug. Yeah, I understand that. I, I was always that way about like taking uh, downers or tripping on something. I was always a little cautious. Then when I started drinking, the heck with that. You know, I just drank like there was no tomorrow. No worry. But yeah, if I was going to take some drugs, then I would calm down and worry, worry about it. See, that's interesting that you brought that up because even when I would drink, when I would black out and I'd wake up the next day, that would that was terrifying to me. Like, I think any sort of loss of consciousness or like awareness is just scary to me. Cause I'm like, what was I doing? Like, what was my body doing? Where was I? So. True. I, 
I used to drive home and say, who drove home last Dad. night? <laughs> I feel like you're like the third person to say something like that to me in the last week. Wow. I heard a comedian say it yesterday that they were like, yeah, I drove home and I don't know how I got home. And oh, I'm like, yeah. that's so fucked. Yep. I'd say to my first wife, well, who drove home last night? Oh, you did. Really? That's so scary. <laughs> yeah, it's scary. I thankfully never had any experiences like that. Like I've never, knock on wood, I've never been pulled over at all, but I've never like, I don't think I ever drove home drunk. I've always, I was always, if I, if I was fucked up, I would at least be like, nope, someone else drive. Like, thankfully. <laughs> That was an experience for me because think of the DUIs and the, the ah, DWIs I would have had to deal with. I'm just amazed. I mean, I drove like that years. You know, I started drinking when I was 16. Well, I started drinking before that, but when I was 16. Consistently I, from 16? Yeah, I used to just drink beer back then and then. Went through all the other alcohol and wound up going back to just drinking beer. But I drove home so many times without it. I never was stopped, never in an accident. But I drove home so many times with no clue how I got there. Ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, because I drank a lot. And my first wife in particular drank a lot too. And we'd just get in that car and go home and... Luckily, by the grace of God, I guess, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I've never understood, too, when people get, like, aggressive about trying to, like, go home and someone's like, no, don't drive home. And they're like, no, I'm fine. It's like, dude, why? Like, just yeah, don't I, drive. I, I would want her to drive sometimes, but she would be in the same situation I was. Yeah. You know? So I would drive. And then sometimes she did drive. But, boy kind of shape was I in for her to be driving you really stop and think about it I remember one time I was driving home from Surge after a rave and <laughs> everyone was super fucked up at this rave like I was a little bit fucked up but I remember like while I was in there I was like I feel like I'm not feeling it like I'm kind of like I felt like I was sober in there and then when I walked outside I was like oh like Everyone in there was just so incredibly fucked up in comparison to me that I felt sober. But I was, like, fine to drive. Like, I was, like I waited around and, like, waited until I was good to drive. But I remember I drove by myself, and so I was driving home, like, going down Central. And I watched, like, four people get into this car. Four people that I had, I was aware were actively tripping balls. Like, they were super fucked up on something. And they got into this car, and then I, like, was, I was in the left lane. They were in the right-hand lane. And I watched them just, like, promptly drive straight and make a car accident. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, just immediately, like... And I'm basically, like, parallel to them. So I'm, like, watching this shit happen. And I was like, I need to get the fuck home. Like, yeah, this is so scary. Crazy. Yeah. So don't do anything and drive, my friends. That is, like, a big pet peeve of mine. Um, I will drive you. <laughs> don't do that. So... I wanted to talk about this. Um, I think we always hear the rumors about LSD being, like, stuck in your spine and, like, you can crack your spine and, like, 10 years later, like, if you tripped and then 10 years later you crack your spine and you start tripping again because it stores in your spine. Like, everyone says that. If you're on TikTok, there's always the... Well, okay. First of all, there are, like, way too many videos on TikTok of, like, teenagers tripping balls. It, like, makes me really uncomfortable. It's, like... They're like, 
visibly uncomfortably tripping and like they'll post about it and then they're like I've been in an extended psychosis for like a week now and like all this stuff and I'm like ah hate that TikTok do better um but so I I was looking into like kind of that weird area of LSD and it is possible for LSD to induce either intermittent or chronic visual hallucinations so obviously like when you're tripping like you'll see stuff um and this says, in spite of no further use, this can still happen, but it is very rare. Common effects include visual snow, which is kind of imagine like a thin layer of like a static TV over your vision. And palinopsia, which I forgot what that one is. Um, let me look it up. Okay, so palinopsia refers to a pathological group of visual symptoms in which there is an abnormal persistence or recurrence of an image in time. The pictures that I'm looking at, it's like someone's holding a banana and then they move. I don't know why I said that. There's a banana in this image. It doesn't have to be a banana. It could be anything you're looking at. They're, like if I like move my hand it, or like I'm just holding it and the hand kind of trails behind it. Like you see like multiple images of the same thing trailing. Trails. <laughs> like here, I'll show you. Oh, I've seen that before. Yeah. It's like, it's like everything. There's like multiple of the same thing you're looking at and it's kind of like wavy. So that's what that is. And I guess that can stick around too. But I feel like that would probably just happen if you took like either way too much, you have like a predisposition for some sort of mental health issues, or you took one of the research chemicals that's like a mock of LSD, which we'll talk about as well, um, which those are pretty toxic. But in cases where this causes distress or impairment, it is diagnosed as hallucinogen persisting perception disorder, which everyone on TikTok diagnoses themselves with or diagnoses <laughs> each other. They'll be like, Oh, you have HPPD. I think really what's happening is a lot of people have mental illnesses and they're taking this and it triggers it because we'll talk about that. It is possible where it's not that LSD gives you the mental illness. It's that you already have the genes or the predisposition to have such mental illness. And then you take a psychoactive drug and it triggers it in an early onset, which is what happened with Max when he was like 16 and he started tripping all the time. Yeah. He was going to have schizophrenia regardless because that's genetic. It was in, or whatever they think it is. Yeah. And then he took a bunch of drugs at like 16 years old. And that was when he had his first psychosis experience. Yeah. And he blamed all his problems on doing that. I mean, it didn't help. <laughs> no, it didn't help. But it basically brought out the problems that are already there. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's more like, a, like that. It's a, it's a door. Letting out those problems you're already having with your psyche. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and then I think also another thing that probably didn't help was he was taking morning glory seeds. Those ones that you could like buy. You can you just plant them. It's like a plant, yeah. and you buy them at like Walmart. And don't do this at home, guys, because it's not safe. But it's so they have a active ingredient in them called LSA, which is very similar to the effects of LSD. But when you buy seeds like that, they're like sprayed in pesticides and right, yeah. like all that kind of stuff. And you don't know how much you're taking when you're just eating a bunch of fucking seeds. And yeah. it's really, really unsafe. It's not a good way to do that. So I wouldn't recommend it. But he did some of that. And yeah, he did a lot of things. <laughs> and I think psychedelics are very helpful. Um in a lot of ways, but you just have to be responsible about it. You can't be taking them like every other day. That's not what they're supposed to be used for. Um, and then that's when it starts to become unhealthy and you get the negative side effects versus the good ones. Yep. I so, agree 100%. Yeah. 
a single dose of LSD may be between um, 400, or, sorry, 40 and 500 micrograms. So that's the, the measurement is micrograms. And it says that that is roughly the amount equal to one-tenth the mass of a grain of sand. So <laughs> wow. very, very tiny, tiny, tiny. Yeah. Um, threshold effects can be felt with as little as 25 micrograms of LSD. I think if you haven't done it in a while or you've never done it or like whatever. But people do this to microdose, which I was just talking to someone about recently. I was like, I know people microdose psilocybin, but I wasn't sure if people microdose LSD. So it turns out you can. It's just such a small dose. It's like really difficult to do. Like you get a piece of paper that's tiny and that's like typically a full dose. So imagine trying to measure out like a microdose of LSD. It's pretty difficult. So are people microdosing and going out and functioning in their jobs and stuff? Or I don't know that much about it. Okay. Um, I know like with psilocybin, yeah, people microdose and like live their lives. Because it's not, it's not like a, you're not doing a full trip. Yeah. You just get kind of the... I think with shrooms, to me, it makes a little bit more sense because I am fully supportive of all psychedelics. Like, I think LSD is amazing, and I think psilocybin is amazing, and if people want to use DMT, ayahuasca, peyote, whatever, I think if you're doing it the right way with, like, a shaman or something, that's great. But I think for me, psilocybin microdosing makes a little bit more sense just because it's natural. Like, that just grows. I think once you start getting, like, LSD is synthetic, you know what I mean? Right. There are, like, plants and stuff that have effects that mimic it obviously like the morning glory seeds but i don't think you can do it by just eating the plant i think you have to eat the seeds of those but then there's the ibogaine or ibogaine i don't know if i'm saying that right um we'll talk about that when we get to the manson family because that's what they were tripping on um but like there's other things that are similar to it but lsd at the end of the day is like synthetic um so i don't know how that what that microdosing experience would be like but i know tons of people now microdose psilocybin and then there's also like programs where you can do it where it's monitored and then in, in some states like where is it? is it Oregon that legalized everything I'm pretty sure people yeah. there probably do that a lot um, but I know people who microdose and like they live their lives fine it's kind of helpful if you um, deal with like everyday depression and stuff which is very common when you live in America. <laughs> <laughs> now psilocybin is is that uh, man-made or is that no made? that's grows out of the ground so okay. it's that's it's what I was true thinking. yeah i was thinking that because i i can remember doing psilocybin and that was a fun time yeah i enjoyed that it wasn't as hard on you as doing like acid yeah it I, typically lasts like six to eight hours where acid yeah. can be like 10 to 25 yeah exactly i can remember doing acid and this is like 1970 so it's probably pretty much like what they you know they were using in the tests when they were doing them in the early sixties. Yeah. By the time I was doing it in nineteen seventy. <laughs> that was cute. Sorry, I get like sensory overload in here. I'm like, ah, is everything <laughs> working correctly? So, yeah, people microdose whatever. I think I think you can technically take a bunch of shrooms and probably have an experience like acid. I mean, they're very similar. Right. It's just one is more organic and one is manufactured. Yeah. Okay. Well, psilocybin was definitely uh, easier on the body, let's say. I think so, because I think of like shrooms as medication. Yeah. If you're using them. That makes sense. Properly. 
why not? You know, like yeah. weed is medication too. Stuff that grows from the ground, why not enjoy yep. it? Smoke plenty of weed. <laughs> so like I mentioned, dosages of LSD are measured in micrograms or millionths of a gram. By comparison, dosages of most drugs, both recreational and medicinal, are measured in milligrams or thousandths, thousandths bleh, of a gram. My lisp is coming out. And then this says, for example, an active dose of mescaline, roughly 0.2 to 0.5 grams, has effects comparable to 100 micrograms or less of LSD. You've done mescaline. Yeah. What's that like? That's pretty fun, too. Is it like, does it feel just like a psycho, yeah, psychedelic? Yeah. Very visual. I remember that. Uh, you smoke it, right? Or do you eat it? No, we ate it. I guess you could smoke it. I don't even know what it would, what it, the method it, of it is. It was in a pill. Okay. Yeah. And it's not, I don't. And we chewed it up. Is it chewy? It's a plant, right? Yeah. I guess. And the mescaline we did came in a little pill and they told us to chew it up and put it under our tongue after we got through chewing on it so it can absorb into the body quicker. And uh, yeah, it was an exciting good time. It was held by all. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I feel like it's not quite as popular now in the psychedelic Yeah, you don't world. hear anybody ever talk about it. I know people who've done it, yeah. but it's always the people that I've known that have been like heavily into drugs, you know what I mean? So it's like they're just, they'll try anything and have done everything. Mescaline was the one that I did when I was in middle school and was walking down the hallway and everybody's faces were turning into baby faces, <laughs> which was pretty terrifying. And freaky at yeah. first until I realized that everybody, and I realized, oh, that's me. I'm tripping. So, yeah. But it was fun. I went to class. That was freaky. <laughs> I never, I don't think I ever did psychedelics at school. Actually, I might be lying to you. I might have done it at Independence. My time at Independence is a blur. Yeah, this was good old Eastway Junior High, back before it reached Middle High. So weird. Yeah. Okay, so while overdose from LSD is unknown, LSD can cause injury and death as a result of accidents stemming from psychological impairment. So people, the story that you always hear of, like, the person who jumped off the building because they thought they could fly while they were on acid and then they die. It's usually stuff like that. It's not like... Acid, for the most part, doesn't make people violent. <laughs> not the people I've known. No, it just makes people, yeah. like... Believe silly things, maybe. Yeah, if you think you can jump off of a building, you wow. <laughs> yeah, but I think that goes back to those people that just want to take, they take so much that they kind of lose. True. The true. That's why I, like, if I ever partake, I'm like, no, thank you. I don't want to get that far gone. I hear you. <laughs> get comfortable. <laughs> Gave me a cup of coffee. <laughs> You're like rubbing your like pants every two seconds and then you like bang the table. <laughs> I gave you a cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> okay. LSD assisted. And by the way, like these are just bulleted notes that I like took from the Wikipedia pages. I'm going to cite all my sources. So don't worry. Um, I just felt like some of these were facts that I was like, I don't really think I can reword this in a perfect way. So I'm just basically reading you what I read. So LSD assisted psychotherapy was used in the 1950s and early 1960s by psychiatrists such as Humphrey Osmond who pioneered the application of LSD to the treatment of alcoholism with promising results. So kind of like I mentioned earlier, um, I don't know if it works for everybody. I don't really know the science behind it, but it just, it does look like 
in a controlled setting, if you give people the right amount of LSD, it can help with addiction, which is awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Osmond coined the term psychedelic. So he basically came up with that um, word, I guess, or phrasing. And apparently it means mind manifesting. And this term was used specifically for LSD and related hallucinogens, superseding the previously held, and I'm quoting, psychotomimetic model in which LSD was believed to to mimic schizophrenia. So I feel like back in the day before we had better understandings of mental illnesses, everybody would like, like schizophrenia was one of the ones that was the most misunderstood. Yeah, it probably was. I mean, because when they were doing this creating LSD at that point, you know, people just didn't talk about crazy family members or people that were having problems like that because a lot of families would send them off to, at that time, we still had mental hospitals. And there's a lot of people stuck in mental hospitals that were basically people that had really bad drug problems, too. They, didn't, they weren't just mental people. They just stuck them there. And then Reagan in 1980 basically wiped out all the mental hospitals. And all of a sudden, a lot of people were out on the street that should have been somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I think when I think back, even before, like, the 60s and LSD, but just the way that people viewed schizophrenia, they'd be like, oh my God, you're a demon. Like you need to be exercised. Mm -hmm. So like, I think when people started doing LSD and they're like, whoa, I'm hallucinating and I'm hearing things and seeing things, people that were more conservative would be like, oh my God, you have schizophrenia. Like you're crazy or something. And so I think that's why he was saying like, as he's doing these this research, the psychotherapy, he's like, how about we frame this differently and use the word psychedelic instead of being like, oh, this is just going to make you crazy. Yeah, that makes sense. So in contrast to schizophrenia, LSD induces transcendental experiences with lasting psychological benefits. And that was a quote from that article. I like the way they wrote that. Yeah, I'm wondering if that was tied into transcendental meditation was really popular back then. I wonder if they were looking at people getting something from transcendental meditation that was similar to what people were saying they were getting from tripping. Well, you can have psychedelic experiences when you're sober and you're in a deeply meditative state. Especially if you're in meditative situations with multiple people. Like when we used to go to three days of light and there'd be like a hundred people sitting in a circle, everyone's meditating and you feel that like super powerful, intense energy. People literally feel like they're tripping. I mean, I went to that light um, language ceremony the other day and like my whole space around my eyes, like from my cheekbones up and like over my eyebrows was like tingling. And I was basically like convulsing and crying. And it was not necessarily psychedelic, but it was definitely a body experience that I don't think I would have just had. You know what I mean? Yeah, probably not. So I can see why um, I can see what you mean about the meditation and the psychedelic experience makes sense so here's where we're gonna get a little bit crazy all right (laughs) so during this time the central intelligence agency aka the cia began using lsd in the research project mk ultra which we will be doing an entire episode maybe even a series on because there is so much to come out of mk ultra it's the like umbrella research project for a bunch of smaller research projects and it basically used the what we're talking about, the this specific leg of it, is they used LSD um, and other psychoactive substances to aid in interrogation 
to see what its potential use in psychological warfare could be. So basically, they wanted to see how much acid they could give to prisoners of war to break them down, make them lose their minds, which is incredibly fucked up. That is messed up. It's so fucked up. There's a lot of different branches of it, too. Like, it might be in here, but they, they would do things like see how they could affect people with psychoactive substances. They would see how they could affect you with sexual abuse. Other kinds I can't think of off the top of my head right now, but there was like all these different sectors of like, how much can we torture you in order to break you down? And essentially, I feel like when you're doing that, you're forcing confessions because who would not tell you what you want to hear in order to stop that? Unless they're like, you know, I don't know. I guess people are trained for that kind of thing. Like do if that's your life, (laughs) like you become a prisoner of war. But yeah, so the CIA administered LSD to test subjects that had no idea what they were about to experience. Because again, LSD is not super prominent. Like this is during the 1950s and 60s. People don't know what LSD is at this point. So they're signing up to, I guess, be in this or they're being forced to be a part of this. And then they're fucking tripping balls on did, LSD. Did they tell them that they were going to? Okay, so. I think... I don't know exactly. I'll I'll get into it more when I do the ep- episode on it. I didn't okay. want to do spend too much time on it because I feel like it's just so much to unpack. But based on every source I've seen, they all called them unwitting test subjects. So I'm okay. thinking either maybe they told them and they didn't say like to the severity like, oh, you're going to be tripping balls. Like you're going to lose your mind basically. Or they just didn't tell them like what it was. But I think like it's it would be easy to be like, oh, like here's a small research chemical. We want to see how it affects. And then you're like suddenly – can you imagine like – unknowingly just taking something and then you're like tripping like crazy no i can't imagine it at all i i I was aware that they used black soldiers in the early 60s because the pictures were always in grainy black and white when they would show you pictures of the test you know on Mm -hmm. some tv show about lsd but i didn't realize they were doing it to a wider group of people but they i know they did use prisoners People that people that couldn't say no, I guess, basically. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's like obviously I haven't done a ton of research on this, yeah. so I don't know if it's like I mean, maybe it, it was all black people. Like I don't I don't know who yeah. all was involved in this. I know Ken Casey, who we're gonna talk about in a minute, was right. and he was not a black person. Yeah. He just volunteered actually to do it. Well, so you're gonna do another uh pod on Yeah, there's that, gonna be a whole so. uh, MK Ultra is insane. I'm not talking okay. about it today. <laughs> It's too much. I, I think there's actually some kind of product out there now called MK Ultra. I didn't realize it was tied to psychedelia. I, I just, when you said that, I, it just flashed in me. Oh, I've seen a product that's called. Well, what MK. is the product? I don't remember what it was. I, I think it. I think it's some kind of drink out there called MK Ultra. It might be a psychedelic water because a lot of brands are doing that now. Okay, might be. I, I've just seen it before. So. I don't know. I'll find out when I do my episode. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So they gave it to unwitting test subjects to observe how they would react. Um, The most well-known example of this was Operation Midnight Climax. So that was like one of the projects that was underneath MKUltra, which I'll get into when we um, do that episode. But LSD was just one of several psychoactive substances evaluated by the U.S. Army Chemical Corps as possible non-lethal incapacitants in the Edgewood Arsenal human experiments. Lots of crazy shit. I was actually just talking to Andrew about this, and we were like, I wouldn't be surprised if they're still doing stuff like this. Obviously, they came out, and they were like, this is inhumane, and we're not doing that anymore, but I don't think they give a fuck. They don't, yeah. They're, they're, they're testing something on us. On someone. Like, yeah. Might not be, like, the 
American people, but like, you know. True, true. So, yeah, that's fucked up. By the early 1960s, though, several leading universities had begun to investigate the psychological benefits and the health benefits of LSD. Most famously, I love this so much, between 1961 and 1963, Harvard professors Dr. Timothy Leary and Dr. Richard Alpert, now known as Ram Dass, tested acid for its therapeutic use. I didn't know that. I knew about Timothy Leary. I didn't know about Ram Dass. That's interesting. I didn't either. Let me, like, fact check that. Uh, they're, they're in the same time period. Makes sense. Okay, yes. So, Dr. Richard Alpert is Ram Dass. I didn't know his real name. I didn't either. Wow. I, when I was reading this, I, like, I think I scanned that part, and then I saw another part of an article where they were, like, they were still referring to him as Richard Alpert and not Ram Dass, and they were, like, Richard Alpert wrote Be Here Now, and I was, like, that's a Rob Doss book. I'm like, even if like that is his name, why wouldn't you use the name that he published the book under? So I, I was a little confused. I just wanted to double check that. Okay, so yeah, they tested acid for its therapeutic use. In the Harvard Psilocybin Project, Albert, Alpert, aka Rom Doss, and Leary <laughs> proceeded to conduct psychological tests on willing students. So students would volunteer for this. And they tested it on themselves. So they were testing psilocybin and LSD specifically. They were dismissed from Harvard in the spring of 1963 <laughs> uh, because obviously Harvard was not happy that they were conducting tests on its students. Right. Which I feel like kind of happened a lot more in that era. Probably did. When I was doing some of my technological episodes, like they had a lot of, a lot of some of the like early testing of um, technology and drugs seems to have been on like advanced college students like college students that were at like very prestigious universities <laughs> well they still do that a lot of universities that have scientific departments that are doing a lot of testing there'll be a little signs around the school volunteer well yeah at unc charlotte they had testing but it was always random stuff it was like did you sprain your ankle we need you to come, like, join this test group. And then you go, and they test your ankle, and they slip you a little bit of acid on the way. <laughs> I would go. To see what happens. No, I remember there was one where it was like, we are looking for couples that have only been together from zero to six months, and we would like to examine your text messages to see what your sexual relationship is like. And I was, like, very intrigued by this, because, like, I think it was probably, it was, like, a thing on, like, sexting and, like, the quality of the relationship and stuff, which is, I'm so interested in that kind of... um studies like, yeah that would be interesting yeah i wanted to do it um with my boyfriend at the time but he was not quite as open-minded as i was <laughs> about that kind of thing <laughs> yeah let's talk about our sex life i mean why not so leary dr leary promoted ideas such as turn on tune in drop out and think for yourself and question authority which were big themes in the summer of love yep that was like, you would hear that on TV. Turn on, tune in, and drop out. And then I guess turn on was like a common phrase. So like, when I was researching, I kept seeing like in quotes, they'd be like, they turned people on to LSD. They turned people on to yeah. this way of thinking. I was like, okay. Yeah, Larry was, you know, he was heavily involved with like the Beach Boys and the Beatles. And he, he kind of became like a little semi-rock star mm -hmm. as far as popularity became. Kind of was always around particularly during the flower power, power period, like 66, 67, which I guess you said he started in, he, they, he started around 64 doing his stuff. So that makes sense. He yeah. 61 got, is when they really started popular. doing it. He got really popular. And so by like 66, he was, you know, he was with the hippies. Yeah. 
I see that is a common trend with this time frame where there's like people that are like talented artists like doing things and then there's just some random guy that has like radical ideas that gets well I mean this guy's a doctor and he was doing research and stuff so he's not super random but like Ken Casey was kind of random like he was just a guy writing he was an author and he just like like we'll get into him more but it seems like that's like a common theme with this era was like there's like these really talented groups of people and artists and then there's like the random guy that like is popular because they have drugs (laughs) well and it also was an explosion of ideas at that point i mean because we're talking about the early 60s where all this kind of stuff is starting to happen with drugs and culture coming right after the black and white 50s you know we're getting color tvs and stuff in the 60s up against this state old world where people were extremely conservative yeah so it really was an interesting time to be alive, let's say. Yeah. I've been, like, really immersed in that time period since I've been doing all this research. I'm like, this is so interesting. So I guess piggybacking off of that, in 1966, Timothy Leary established the League for Spiritual Discovery, um, which is LSD. Yep. And that was its sacrament. So I think it's interesting and important to note that these are doctors that were analyzing this drug, and then they were like, this is spiritual. This is sacred. And then we just kind of dismissed it. Yeah. Um, well, not we. I think a lot of people, the general public, were like, yay. But, like, the government was like, no, you guys can't be happy <laughs> or, <Yeah>. like, explore <laughs> your consciousness. True. So, and then, um, I don't, I forgot to look up this guy's name, how to say it. Stan, Stanislav, Stanislav Groff has written that religious and mystical experiences observed during LSD sessions appear to be phenomenologically indistinguishable from similar similar descriptions in the sacred scriptures of the great religions of the world and the texts of ancient civilizations. So I thought that was really cool. I don't think everybody is going to have a religious experience on LSD, but I do think that a lot of people can, if that's where you're wanting to take it. Yeah. A lot of tribal communities, they find drugs that do the same things and they use them in their uh, religious... Uh, operations and stuff yeah that's like if you're gonna do ayahuasca you like go to latin america typically and have like a shaman and do like a month-long preparation and it's a ceremony you're not just taking it casually yeah and in the united states in the 60s you put the beatles on and listen to lucy in the sky with diamonds you know well i think i might i don't know if i included it in here but it um when i was researching it like a lot of music from that time they were trying to mimic the effects of lsd in their music yeah. Um, and so that's why, like, a lot of music is associated with it. Also because they were, like, in that era and they were doing it. But, like, a lot of big bands were trying to, like, the Grateful Dead specifically yeah. and the Beatles. Yeah, I think the Beatles actually denied that. But I'm like, you literally have a song called Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and the Beatles brought in Indian music, uh, playing the sitar. Ravi Shankar became, like, a real confidant of George Harrison taught him how to play the sitar so on uh, Sergeant Peppers yeah he plays sitar on that and it's real trippy yeah so this is where it gets a little scandalous in the mid 1960s the most important black market LSD manufacturer Owsley Stanley distributed LSD at a standard concentration of about 270 micrograms 
Um, street samples of the 70s contained anywhere from 30 to 300 micrograms. So they were making pretty on the heavier end doses of LSD. And then by the 80s, this amount had reduced to about 100 to 125 micrograms on your standard LSD tab, dropping more in the 90s to about 20 to 80 micrograms and even more in the 2000s. But I feel like we're back up. We're definitely <laughs> back up because like when I talk to people about the micrograms, it's always yeah. like like 250. Wow. Anywhere from like 150 to 250 is more what I've heard. I think I might actually have like what um, it is at the end of this. So let's talk about Ken Casey. So Ken Casey first used LSD in one of the CIA's secret trials, Project MKUltra. Um, this is called the Mind Control Program. So I can't wait to talk about this one. It's going to be a lot. <laughs> However, his 1965 and 1966 acid tests helped make LSD more accessible to the general public. They were working with Owsley Stanley. They were close tied to them. Um, and they especially brought LSD to college campuses. Grateful Dead was involved with that, too. Mm -hmm. They were actually called, what, like the Warlocks before they became the Grateful Dead? Yeah, they Dead? were the Warlocks before the Grateful Dead. Yeah, I'm glad they, were, they changed that. When they were the Warlocks, they were more like a, an acoustic band. They were the Warlocks when they started the acid test and then quickly turned to the Grateful Dead. Picked up electric instruments. Yeah. So after an arrest for marijuana possession and faking his own suicide, Casey was imprisoned for five months. And shortly after that, he went home to um, Willamette Valley and settled in Pleasant Hill, Oregon, which just makes sense. And then he left a, or he led a secluded family oriented lifestyle for the rest of his life. And I believe that was like after he'd settled down after the tests. But yeah, he definitely was like on the run. I'm pretty sure when he was doing the acid test and they were driving around in their bus, he was on the run for a little bit. Um, but so basically the acid tests were a series of parties held by author Ken Casey, primarily in the San Francisco Bay Area during the mid-60s. And this they centered on the use of advocacy for the psychedelic drug LSD, commonly known as acid. And LSD was actually not made illegal in California until October 6, 1966. So these parties were just basically totally legal. I think they had about like 15 to 20 parties in different locations, mainly with like the Grateful Dead. Um, other big bands of the time would play at these parties, which is just super cool. Yeah. <laughs> and they would have stuff like they would make Kool-Aid and spike it with acid. So people would just drink this. So I always thought the Kool-Aid reference was a Jim Jones thing because like he did the Kool-Aid where he drugged everybody and they died. But now I get that there's more than one reference when they say don't drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah. The, Jim Jones weren't until the late 70s. So. I don't know what when people started saying that, but I, I'm obviously way after the 70s. So whenever right. I would hear don't drink the Kool-Aid, I just thought it was a strictly Jim Jones reference. But now I know that it could refer to also you might be spiked with LSD. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, but that doesn't sound too bad, like, in my opinion. <laughs> as long as they didn't make it too strong. Yeah. yeah. So... They're having these parties, they're spreading the good message of LSD, our Lord and Savior, and the perception that LSD could be used to expand consciousness because of this resulted in LSD being viewed as a cultural threat to American values in the Vietnam War effort. So America was like, no, like, how dare you not want to have a war? <laughs> how dare you expand your consciousness? Like... Well, and the soldiers were tripping like crazy over in Vietnam. They were doing lots of acid and stuff. Really? Yeah, big deal over there. They were, they were in a war. 
They wanted to be messed up. They needed to get their heads out of it. Doing acid and like murdering people and seeing all that fucked up shit does yeah. not sound like a good combination. Well, there was a lot of times when you were in the war, you were sitting out in the woods and it was raining for the 15th day in a row. And you weren't doing a lot of fighting because the Viet Cong was 100 feet down the road behind the berm over there. They were doing the same thing our soldiers were doing. They basically were all hiding from each other. And so they basically would, you know, they would trip, smoke weed, just whatever it took. Is Viet Cong the name of their army? That was the North Vietnamese. They were called okay. the Viet Cong. Yeah, I'm I'm not even, like, familiar with... I I know some people are big on, like, war, and they know all the things about war. I hate it. I don't like... Yeah. I know I was probably supposed to learn this in school, but, like, literally, I couldn't... I could not tell you, like, when any war times were, like, what they were about, so... I was just asking because I was curious, but... Well, when you learned it in school, it was probably like one morning worth of a <laughs> yeah. of a class. Yeah. I know the terminology because I... You lived it. I lived it. You know, if you went and turned on the nightly news, you heard about body counts for both sides. Yeah. You heard talk about the Viet Cong or moving through Cambodia and bypassing the Vietnams and they're sneaking around. That's how the war moved from Vietnam. It moved over to Cambodia and Laos because first the Viet Cong started using trails through there and then we realized it. So then we started using trails through there. And so the the war moved to Cambodia and Laos. Yeah. Do you know if people enjoyed their LSD trips while they were in the war? I think it was more like just protection to get your mind away. Just a way to like escape. It was escapism. That's so sad. Yeah. Because like your mind is, I feel like it goes back to set and setting. Like you shouldn't Mm -hmm. be taking psychedelics if you're not in like a good place. And then they're obviously not in a good place, but they're just doing anything to get their minds off. But that's really sad. Yeah. I mean, when you're out in the outside in the mud and it's raining on you and you're doing acid. Got to be messed up. Yeah. It couldn't be like a really good experience. That breaks my heart. And it's just, it's crazy how like conservative and rigid America was at the time that like to see people taking LSD and like being the happiest they've ever been and having important realizations and revelations about life and wanting to share love and spread love. People were so uptight and the government was the way that the government is that they're like, no, don't do that. And it's like, well, we can stop this war. Like we could stop it. True. true. Like we don't have to do this. Anyway, so because of this, America, Americans are like, oh my God, LSD. And it was designated as a Schedule One illegal substance in 1968. And it was listed as a Schedule One con- controlled substance by the United Nations in 1971. And it currently has no approved medical uses. I don't, I think, I'm not, I can't remember exactly when this article was published. So I'm not sure if that is still the case, but I think so. I don't think that people are doing that yet maybe i could be wrong if you guys know about like an approved medical use for lsd let me know i'm sure they're still looking at ways that it oh, can sure. be used but i, I'm, I don't I, think anything's on the market i haven't heard of anything it seems like that would make the news yeah i would agree i think yeah. the like most recent thing i've heard about it is like oregon like allowing yeah. lots of drugs to be yeah. non-criminalized decriminalized. let's move to oregon let's move to oregon yeah <laughs> you can get ketamine infusions here ah. 
Let's stay here. <laughs> so the first acid test was a small semi-public event advertised only at the local Hip Pocket Underground bookstore. And this kicked off a series of weekly psychedelic blowouts that provided a launching point for the Grateful Dead and a public turning point for the counterculture that followed. Given that attendees consumed about 250 microgram LSD capsules, it oh, excuse me. It is perhaps unsurprising that accounts of the first acid test vary. So that was from Rolling Stones. It was a quote um, because it seems like you you can't get a perfect description of it. So Ken Casey swears that the first acid test was a Halloween party and everyone was dressed in costumes, but the first flyer that has been found says November 27th. But it's also not confirmed. No one knows if that is the real flyer. Yeah. Because everyone was just <laughs> doing too much acid. So, because I mean, I don't know. Have you ever met someone that did a little bit too much acid? Yes. Like, I know some people that, like, I know they did way too much acid, and it's like you know them before and after, and they're just like, they're brain fried. Yeah, yeah. It's like you got to space that out, dude. You can't do it every other day. So I, I believe that. But So the test involved the group traveling around California, administering LSD to willing participants and putting on various art performances. And I think there's like a quote where they were like, it's like the journey out east. So they started in California and they were making their way over to the east coast. So the merry pranksters were central to organizing the acid tests, including pranksters such as Lee Kornstrom and Neil Cassidy. Other people, such as LSD chemist Owsley Stanley, that's the black market LSD producer, and Tim Scully were involved as well. So the Merry Pranksters were comrades and followers of American author Ken Casey in 1964. This is what I mean about it was just like a random person. Like he's just an author and then he just started kind of like building this like community of people that followed him around. And Owsley Stanley wound up working with the Grateful Dead. He would tour with them just... Because he loved the Grateful Dead. Yeah. But he toured with them because they wanted him to because he was the dude with the acid. Yeah. And it's like they brought him along just for that. For the, the experience. The, the Grateful to Dead. build would, the atmosphere. Yeah. They would play concerts and they might play for three hours. They might play a song that was on one of their albums that was like St. Stephen, eight minutes long. They might be tripping. And they make it like 30 minutes long. 30, 35, 40, whatever it took for them to reach a point where they had to stop. Yeah. And they were loving it. The crowd was loving it because they were tripping. It was a trippy good time, really. Really just like a big jam band (laughs) experience. Yeah, exactly. And that's where the term jam band came from. Yeah. It's the Grateful Dead, basically. I have mixed feelings about jam bands. Yeah, they can be either exciting or just the most tedious, boring thing you've ever seen in your life. Like fish makes me want to rip my hair out. I don't care for fish at all. <laughs> they can't even spell the name right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is about fish, but anytime someone's like, oh yeah, I'm a huge fish fan, I'm like, okay, talk to you later. <laughs> right, I'm the same way. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. So Ken Casey and the Merry Pranksters, they lived communally at Casey's homes in California and Oregon, and they're noted for the sociological significance of a lengthy road trip they took in the summer of 1964, traveling across the United States in a psychedelic painted school bus called Further. And then they would organize these parties, give out LSD. If you look at some of the pictures online, it's funny because a lot of them would be like, it'd be like a picture and be like all of them standing like on top of the bus or around the bus. And then the caption would be like, 
the merry pranksters as they prepare for an LSD trip. <laughs> so I don't think they were like, I think they may have been using it a little bit more responsibly than we might give them credit for. Like, I don't think they were just constantly tripping on the road. I think they would like go to these events and trip. It was like an event. They weren't just like, I mean, some of them were definitely casually using it, but like they were like, okay, we're having a acid test party tonight. Right. We're going to take acid tonight. You know what I mean? Hopefully the driver wasn't testing. I hope not because like, <laughs> I know people that are like, oh, yeah, like, I took acid tonight. I'm going to drive home. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, how? Literally, how? I can't even, like, take one hit of weed and, like, drive the car and, like, feel safe. Like, I, I hate that. It scares me. So, basically, the Merry Pranksters, like, I don't... Do you know much about them? Because it just seems like they're just people. Like, uh, they, I don't think they were, like, necessarily, like... A, they didn't have, like, a certain thing they were doing. They were just the people on the bus, like... There were the people on the bus. There were there were a group of people that just basically wanted to travel around and be pranksters. You know, they were partying all the time. Yeah, so. silly. And Mary is like M E R R Y, like they're merry, yeah. happy little pranksters. Right. Yeah. So big people in, included in the acid tests were the Merry Pranksters, the Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, Big Brother, and the Holding Company. All these Summer of Love, Oakland, huge San bands. Francisco bands. Yeah. So there was a festival called Trips Festival on Saturday, January 22nd, I think of 66. And the Grateful Dead and the Big Brother and the Holding Company came on stage. 6,000 people arrived to drink punch spiked with LSD and to witness one of the first fully developed light shows of the era. So that's really cool. It's like a landmark. Yeah. Can you imagine? That's like the... I always like think back of like when things first were invented. Because like now I go to raves and shows and I see like amazing light shows. Yeah. But, like, can you imagine, like, I just sometimes wish that I lived in the era where you guys, like, got to know new technology. Like, you, like, discovered cell phones and you're like, now everybody has a cell phone or, like, things like that that, like, I've just had. Like, it's hard to – I'm in a mind state where I'm, like, always expecting technology to come out with something new and something more advanced. So it's not crazy to me. But, like, to be just, like, living my life that's very analog and then – go and see something that's like never been done before like this is like the first light show like that's crazy and then yeah. you're also tripping while it's happening light shows were cool <laughs> they still are yeah so as of 2017 okay this is kind of like my wrapping up facts and then we can just talk so as of 2017 about 10 percent of people in the united states have used lsd at some point in their lives while 0.7 percent have used it in the last year i don't know if that stat is accurate or like how they got that i'm like not everybody is responding to that so like how do you get that number you know what i mean like how do they know yeah you're right because a lot of people just don't want to talk they need people aren't going to report that, that. Anymore. yeah yeah or like what about those people that are just like making it in their basement like maybe they're getting these numbers <laughs> from like companies that produce it and like they're like oh we're a black market company we produced this much in the year and we sold this much Okay, maybe that could be a way to get a stat like that. But first of all, what black market company is going to tell you that? True. And then second of all, like I said, what about the people that are just home chemists or like, I guess you'd have to be like an insane chemist, but people do it. You ever know anybody to do that? Make their own acid? Yeah. No. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> but like, there's got to be like someone that's a, a chemist that's... It's probably not that hard. If, if, they, if they were making it at home in the 60s. Well, Casey may have been doing it in a... A laboratory, but... I don't think Casey was making it, though. He was yeah. just working with Owsley. Okay. Owsley was making it. That's right. Yeah. You're right. I mean, you have to have some sort of knowledge about yeah. whatever. Yeah, you definitely have to have the knowledge. 
Yeah. So it seems it was most popular in the 60s to 80s, but I feel like it's still pretty popular. Well, it's gotten popular again. Yeah. 60s to 80s was pretty good until probably uh, probably the early 2000s, I would say. You started hearing about it picking back up some. Yeah. I think because of the research chemicals, which it doesn't look like I put any information in here about it, so I can just talk about like what I know about it. But yeah. And then this says the use of LSD among U.S. adults increased 56.4% from 2015 to 2018. So okay. definitely popping back up in popularity for sure. Out of 20 drugs ranked in order of individual and societal harm by David Nutt. <laughs> I have a doctor named Linda Nutt. I love that. LSD was third to last, or approximately a tenth as harmful as alcohol. The most significant adverse effect of LSD was impairment of mental functioning while intoxicated. So, obviously, that's kind of the point. Yeah. And I think also all of that is a little subjective because it's like mental functioning. Like, that's a very broad statement. Your your mental is functioning in a different way when you're on LSD. And I think it also comes back to societal standards. True. Yeah, and when you're on LSD, your mental capacities are actually expanding. Yeah. You're opening yourself up to you're thoughts that normally you would have just shut down. Right. You're like losing touch with what we as a society say is normal and good to behave and good to do. And you're exploring something else. And I think that's what it comes back to is like, it's just not what we're used to in our civilization. Right. I think... I was talking to someone in Asheville and he was, he kind of reminded me of Max and like also of Nate and that they're like very like spiritual, almost like, like very lofty conversations. And he was like, we were getting along very well. And he was like, like we had like a connection. I was like this guy, like we just knew. Um, And people were like, he's kind of weird. Like some people were vibing with it and like they were like drawing photos of like their true selves and like you know, doing tarot and like having these experiences. But then there were other people at the hostel that were like, he's kind of weird. And I'm like, he's weird by society standards. I definitely have like some, I had issues with Max that were like other, like he was that way. And then when he would be like, we had our own issues in between us. So I right. like kind of associated whatever. But um, now I understand that like, I I feel like I keep meeting more people that are spiritual in that way that like, they're more detached from society and people look at them and think that they're crazy and like give them diagnoses. And maybe, maybe they are, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but I think also they're just in a place where like, they're not succumbing to society's standards. They live almost in a psychedelic state and people think that it's strange. That's true. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I do think we're here for like the human experience. So you do need to be grounded to some extent. Yeah. I mean, you you have to be able to function in your community Mm -hmm. and in your space, but you can still be different. Yeah. And I appreciate talking to people like that. Like, I love having conversations with Nate, too, because, like, not not to say, like, I didn't mean any of that negatively at all. Right. Like, sometimes Nate will, like, really, um, like, test me in a, like, or, like, um, not test me, but, like, he'll give me food for thought and kind of, like, bring me out of, like, the, like, everyday, like, material world and be like well what about this and like why do you care about this and i'm like you have a good point true so oh lsd is capable of exacerbating mental illnesses like we talked about and precipitating the early onset of schizophrenia and vulnerable individuals so that has been discovered and we know firsthand we know firsthand on that one yes so 
I think it just goes back to using things responsibly. Like, I can't really judge because my first time tripping, I was very young. Um, And I think that's kind of a part of the experience is the exploration on your own. But I think it can be very dangerous for children to be taking psychoactive substances because you don't know. And we didn't know anything about mom's side of the family. So how would we have even known that he would have been susceptible to mental illness in that way when it doesn't run in your family that severely? That's true. I mean, there could be a whole side. There's a whole side of our family we know nothing about. There could be other people in that family went through the exact same things as Max did. Yeah. And we just don't know. I think it would have happened eventually. We would have figured out his diagnosis eventually, and it just kind of sped it up. But, I mean, you have to be very careful when using psychoactive substances. Um, This says population studies have not found an increase in incidence of mental illness and psychedelic drug users overall. So I thought that was interesting. Psychedelic users actually have lower rates of depression and substance abuse than the control groups. There is evidence that people with severe mental illnesses like schizophrenia have a higher likelihood of experiencing the adverse effects from taking LSD. So some of that persistent stuff that we were talking about. Right. Um, So I thought that was interesting that people who use psychoactive substances aren't necessarily more likely to be mentally ill. In fact, they're kind of better off. It's interesting. So I guess that's where the psychotherapy stuff comes into play. Yeah, that's probably why they started trying it, too. They probably noticed that some people were doing it and were, hey, it's working with this guy. Let's, yeah. let's see how this works. They're like, know? wow, that person looks like they have an amazing quality of life now. Yeah. <laughs> what does that What does that mean? Let's find out. <laughs> and then the government was like, no. <laughs> no, you can't do that. We're going to give that to the soldiers. And then this is what I talked about at the beginning. <laughs> Just clicked what you said. This is what I talked about at the beginning. There is no pharmacological evidence of long-term storage of LSD in the body. So that debunks the spinal cord rumor that everybody always talks about. I almost think like psychedelic experiences are a natural part of our human experience. So I think if you have like, and it goes back to the meditation too, like where you can get into such a deep meditative trance that you feel like you're having a psychedelic experience. I think that sometimes maybe your body is just like vibing. <laughs> like sure. I used to like, I feel like I've had moments where I was like, dude, I feel like wavy right now. And like, I didn't do anything. And then I, I would, it would freak me out a little bit, but then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to kind of embrace this. Cause like when we are like really in tune with like nature or like your environment, and then you have that kind of good vibe, like just go with it. <laughs> Well, I think that's probably because you have done psychedelics. You activate a, the pineal gland. Uh, yeah, there, it's brain. in your system. And what your body does is it draws on all your emotions from all your experiences. So it's in there. Your body's like, hey, that felt really good that one time. Like, let's feel really good again. Yeah, maybe you're in a situation where you need something to kind of chill you out. Yeah. And they, your body goes, hey, let's take him here. I like that a lot, actually, because I feel, um, I think we talked a little bit about it, but I'm I'm very emotional, I'm very intuitive, and I have a lot of friends that are very spiritual, and they'll see deities, and they'll have visions or dreams that, like, messages come to them very directly, and I've noticed for me, I get a lot of dream messages, but it's never, like, something coming to me. It's usually, like, I just hear myself in my dream, like, say something, but a lot of my experiences are physical experiences. Like, I'll get a, a vibe and I'll, for lack of a better word, and I'll know something. I'm like, oh, like this is what I should do or this is what I shouldn't do. And I've been trying to be more intentional about letting those experiences come and not dismiss them. Yeah. And yeah. 
so I like that because I feel like the more I've decided to be like, like I've literally been like in meditation or like journaling and I'm like, I'm ready to experience things. I'm ready to receive messages. I'm open to those experiences because I'm tired of like not validating those in myself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've noticed more of those kinds of things. And then when I was in that light language ceremony, um, the teacher was talking about, her name is Olivia OJ, Big Love Yoga Barn. She was talking about how we don't let ourselves feel ecstasy naturally. We don't let ourselves feel like pure bliss and joy because people will look at you and be like, you're crazy. True. People take like Molly and like psychoactive drugs and they feel that and it's like okay to feel that way because you're on the drug. But like the human body is capable of experiencing those feelings. But we have been conditioned to not allow them to be that way, like through society and through years of being taught that this is how civilizations should act. But like the body can feel those feelings. We just suppress them. So I think that was a really interesting point that you brought up. Well, you know, and people, when you do psychedelics, you tend to do them when you're doing them with other people that are doing them too. Very few people trip by themselves. But you can. There's nothing wrong with it. You just don't want to get so tripped that you need to under the gapter. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with going for those feelings at a smaller rate than you might if you're trying to party with them, let's say. Exactly. I think that's why people microdose too. Yeah, that makes sense. It helps you um, activate those feelings a little bit more easily. And if you are going to trip by yourself, I'll put some sources in the uh, show notes that are like helpful for like set and setting and stuff like that. But there are um, services, they're kind of like hotlines that you can have on standby for if you're tripping alone. It's like a trip sitter. Okay. And you can like, or you can, there are people that like, if you'd rather, instead of doing it on a hotline where someone can talk you down or like talk to you through a video camera, there are people that are professional trip sitters. And they're typically very spiritual or they're sh- shamanic in some way. Right. Um, and they will sit with you and, like, just observe. Like, they won't, you know, interfere with it, but they can, like, watch you and make sure you're okay. So there's ways to go about that. If you're interested, I'll probably – I'll look for some links to post. Sounds good. That was all I had specifically. I did want to touch on the research chemical stuff. So um, they're called, like, 25I in, in B – and like 25C, and it's basically like, I think it's a lot of black market stuff. I think there are obviously researchers that are researching it, but you can get that kind of stuff on the black market. I actually got some when I was in like middle school because it was like cheaper to get, I guess. Now she tells me. (laughs) And it's like way more toxic than LSD because obviously LSD is like an acid or whatever. But it's like incredibly toxic. And that, if you take those, it has typically the same effect as LSD, but it's not. I think the core difference is that LSD is like loving. And then you take these other like mimicking LSD kind of drugs and you have the trippy effects, but it's people are more scared and more likely to get hurt. And I, I think there was actual like health problems associated with those where people were like either died or like had to go to the hospital and stuff because they're toxic. That's, so That's creepy. <laughs> yeah. So not to like freak people out, but just don't take research chemicals. Yeah. Like that's like, I think the number one, if you are going to use drugs, test your shit and don't take research chemicals because when they outlaw a certain drug and then people change like one little ingredient in it, it can change the whole molecular makeup of yeah. something and it might not react well with you. So I just thought that was important to point out. Because I knew people that were taking those and 
they grew up odd. Yeah, I had a friend that um, I think we were in the tenth grade, and it was four of us, and three of us came out fine, but the other dude, he weren't never the same again. He just yeah. he just kind of roasted right there in front of us. He had to leave and. He was having such a horrible time. He went home, and then, like, after that, he, he was never the same. That's really sad. Yeah, you can really a, damage your Yeah, it was yourself. sad. Do you have any, like, experiences of, um, like, were the acid tests publicized? Were you aware of that when it was happening? No, I was too little. Yeah. I mean, because I... He was little. I was a little feller. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because that was in the 60s. I, first yeah, time you I, were, like... Yeah, eight, yeah. I was, six, seven, eight. First time I ever tripped, I was fourteen, and that was nineteen seventy-two, and that was, uh, gosh, I can't remember what it was we did. Anyway, we did it, and I liked it, and then so like about two weeks later, we tripped at school, <laughs> which I enjoyed it, but it was weird. <laughs> You did the blotters one, right? The one, that, well, they're blotters. all they're all called blotters, but the ones you put on your eyeball. Uh, yeah, we did the kind that you put on your eyeball. We did the kind that you would stick under your tongue. Uh, we also did some that came in pills, and you'd swallow them. We did some you chewed up. Were the eyeball ones like immediate? It seems yeah. like it would just like immediately start happening. Well, it basically you put it on your eyeball so it melts it, and then I can't even imagine. Well, I mean, it's just. <laughs> I'm just like picturing you like, all right, I'm just... As soon as it hits your eyeball, it starts melting. Because you you didn't want to ever touch it with any liquid or it was going to melt. Yeah, so like did it start tripping in one eye and then like go to the other? Well, you know, you got them in both. You put them in both eyes? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you have to do it really quick? Yeah, I did it real quick. Put it in your finger because it was kind of sticky. You put it like on the white part or like... I put mine right on my eyeball. Oh my God. <laughs> Well, it just melts, and then it, you know, just goes into your system, and you wait for the trip. That's so crazy. Yeah. I feel like this episode, my intention was for it to be about the acid test, but it turned out just being about acid in general, because there's not much to know about the acid test, because everyone was fucked up. Yeah, really. There's some really cool photos online that you can look at. I'll probably post some, Um, but it just seems like basically like a Grateful Dead concert. Probably so, yeah. Oh, that's great. What else? Here's a question. Did Bob Dylan ever trip? I feel like you're the one who should know the answer to that. I have no idea. I feel like he probably would have. Yeah, I guess. It's kind of interesting because he came... I feel like he has a stick up his ass, though. Well, well, not really. He has a little bit of that representation reputation but that's because he was just so overwhelmed by people just constantly around him well that's fair he used to go when he went to electric music he'd go to concerts and people would boo him because he wasn't playing his acoustic songs and he'd go okay this song's gonna be a folk song y'all wanna hear another folk song yeah and he'd turn around and tell the band to play loud People are so pretentious. I hate that. Like, I feel like I've noticed that a lot in the EDM community. Like, people yeah. will go to festivals and they're like, oh, you didn't play the song I wanted to hear. And then, like, tweet about it and be an asshole. And it's like, these people are artists. Right. They're yeah. doing what they want to do. And, like, they're not here to, like, serve you a fucking 
combo number one meal. Like, you know what I mean? Let them be an artist and do what the fuck they want to do. Like, that's why you, that's supposed to be why you like them is that they're a cool artist that is pushing limits and doing things that you haven't experienced before. Like they don't want to do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I probably said that because there's, you never hear about Bob Dylan tripping. Maybe he did it in private. I tend to think probably what happened was like he came, he was like 19 years old in 1960. So by the mid-60s when Trippin' really was kicking in, he was already married and had kids. So maybe he didn't want to do that kind of stuff because of that. Yeah, he he had had stuff to take care of. He had other things to take care of, I think, probably is what happened there. But you never hear Bob Dylan Trippin', you never him being psychedelic. Well, I hope that if he had those experiences that that's good because then that means that he probably got to keep them sacred to himself. And I can see him doing that too. Yeah. If he did. Especially because this whole era is so glamorized and like everybody's shit is out there. And a lot of it is like, like I feel like from this whole 60s and 70s as I've done research on like this topic and other topics that were in this era, it seems like there's a lot of different accounts of the same thing. Like everybody, yeah. especially for the Altamont Free Concert, which I'm doing next week, everybody has their own fucking story of how that went down. Yeah. And nobody knows what's true and what's not. So it, I guess it's like nice that he didn't have, I don't know. I just feel like that would be frustrating to have lived through that era and have, first of all, your business put out there. And second of all, it's not even right. Well, and actually when all that started happening, he had kind of taken himself off the scene and kind of reside, moved back home and just stayed. He he had a motorcycle accident in 1966, Mm -hmm. broke his neck. Oh, crazy. And and think about that. Right after 66 is when all the psychedelic stuff started coming in, but he was at home. Well, he's probably like having a different kind of gratitude for his life, a different kind of appreciation. He's like, I'm not going to go try these fucking brand new synthetic yeah. chemicals. Like, I just survived uh, True. and broke my, I broke my neck and I lived. Yeah. That's and when rare. He, and when he came out and put an album out, well, they recorded it in like 68. It was all just like old country type songs and stuff. <laughs> he kind of went the other way. Yeah. Know? Sorry, I didn't mean to steal your... <laughs> Turn it into a Bob Dylan show. You didn't steal it. This is what the podcast is about. But yeah, it's cool. Any other questions or comments, concerns? No, I'm good. That was fun. Cool. All right, guys. Well, join me next week for the Altamont free concert. And then I can't remember what's next. So I think I'm taking a step away from this era of time. But thank you all for listening. You can follow me at Profskep Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. That's at P-R-O-F-S-K-E-P Podcast. You can email me at professionalskepticismpodcast at gmail.com. You can become a Patreon subscriber at Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Profskep Podcast. Feel free to DM me, message me, get some stickers. I'm going to get a website up soon. And I love you guys. Stay sus. See you next week. Mwah.